Well, welcome to the Black Madonna Speaks with me, your host, Stephanie Georgiev. I'm so thankful you've joined me today. And for those of you who are celebrating Thanksgiving, I wish you a peaceful and delicious holiday. Know that I am thankful for you, my listeners and subscribers, as well as my faithful Patreon supporters. This is one of my great sources of gratitude as I celebrate Thanksgiving. As those of you in the Northern Hemisphere have noticed, the days are now shorter and the nights are much longer. For many, these changes are often accompanied with feelings of sadness, especially in those who are struggling with life events or even clinical disorders. Sometimes this darker time of year can be quite challenging. I hope you all who are struggling with loss or difficult circumstances know that you are surrounded by angelic beings and divinity and that you are not alone. In fact, these darker days can be a time to get in touch with the sacred in everyday life and if used properly can actually be a time for transformation and new beginnings. For those of you who are longtime listeners and supporters, you know that I often refer to that wonderful verse in Isaiah 45 that says, I will give you treasures of darkness. And it's basically a prophecy for the coming of Christ being. And it's part of the prequel prophecy verses for this time of year, this dark time in the Northern Hemisphere of Advent. So I would like to read a verse that I just recently rediscovered as I'm going through the Psalms, and I have been listening to and reading this Psalms quite often these days, and I hope that you are nourished by these verses as I am. I'll be reading from Psalms 19, verse 1 through 6 from the New International Version of the Bible. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out to all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the others. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. And again, that's Psalm 19, verse 1 through 6. And I just love those verses, especially when we look out to the night sky in these really dark, long nights. And where I live, I'm very lucky there's not a lot of light pollution, so I can really see the stars. And to me, that's such a wonderful image for this time of Advent. So while darkness is often vilified, and if you do a uh, Bible concordance search of the word dark, there's quite a few verses 
about the word dark in the Bible, and not all of them are, are very positive, I would say. And so darkness can often be vilified, but it's actually quite rich. And we are reminded that seeds must settle into the soil before they unfurl, and that recent scientific discoveries have shown us that black holes give birth to stars. And if you know anything about black holes, there's basically, quote unquote, less than nothing there. But out of these dark voids comes incredible galaxies. And I want us to keep this in mind in terms of how we approach darkness, especially when it comes to understanding the messages of the Black Madonna, that in darkness we must surrender to mystery. And this is where life always renews itself, in the darkness of dirt, in the gaping black holes of the universe, and also within the womb. We keep hearing on the American news, in general, that Americans are sleep deprived. We also hear how we must get eight hours a day to be healthy. Those of us who either who have raised small children uh, or are dealing with that right now know that sleep is often quite elusive and interrupted on regular basis for various reasons. And so some people with small children kind of laugh at the whole concept of eight hours of sleep and are constantly begging their children to go back to sleep. Now, some of us who are aging, as I am, have noticed a change in our sleep habits. We wake more in the middle of the night, uh, usually for diminished bladder capacities, and we often feel upset as a result of it. And I can tell you as a uh, older female, something that I was never told when I was young about this point in my life is that I actually do get much less sleep than I used to. And um, what we call insomnia is something that uh, older women really suffer with. Um, but we don't have to suffer. We don't have to suffer. But not because we can take pills or do something about it, but there are ways to look at this different time in our life where we need less sleep. So we feel upset if we don't get our eight hours, and we feel irritated if they're interrupted. But what is actually healthy in terms of sleep? There was a really interesting study, and I remember seeing the outcome of this in various uh, forms of literature, various journals. A gentleman by the name of Dr. Thomas Ware from the National Institutes of Mental Health in the United States, he conducted an experiment to observe sleep patterns. And basically, he was trying to look at how modern humans sleep versus prehistoric and ancient sleep practices. Because apparently, up through to the Middle Ages, <clears throat> even through the Age of Enlightenment, people actually had several phases of sleep. And he wanted to see what that was about. So what we have noticed in common practice in the modern age, 
with the invention of the electric light bulb, we have altered our lives with artificial light. And we have designated certain times of the day for work, certain times of the day for recreation, and also certain times of the day for sleep. And this concept of the eight hours of sleep at night really came about in tandem with this concept of the artificial light bulb because it extended our daylight hours and basically made us, quote-unquote, more productive according to modern times. And I deeply invite you to read the incredible book called Waking Up to the Dark by Clark Strand. It's recently been republished, and he has so many wonderful ideas and reflections on this change in our culture from our ancient practices also to our modern practices. So I I digress. So we have, with this artificial light, created this concept of specific hours for sleep, specific hours for waking. But what we're noticing is maybe that's not necessarily normal or healthy. And when we look at how we spend our waking hours, I would say we spend a good of our eight hours watching television or scanning the internet. And statistics show us globally that we spend an average of two and a half hours per day doing just social media and up to six hours a day, at least in North America, in front of television screens. And imagine what would happen if we spent such time reading inspiring literature, walking out in nature, meditating, or talking with those we love, like in front of us over a cup of tea. Getting back to Dr. Ware and his study, he conducted an experiment where subjects were put into total darkness every night with no artificial light or access to any sort of devices. For one month, people in the study slept for eight hours a night, give or take, and they slept through the night. But after the first month, people slept for eight hours, but they slept in shifts meaning four hours of deep sleep, then waking for an hour or so, and then falling back asleep and sleeping for another four hours. People in the experiment spoke of something they had never experienced before, and they found in this time between these two sleeps that there was a state of consciousness that was very deep and focused. Now, This time is something that is very normal to ancient civilizations, ancient sleep patterns. And this hour where there's this deep focused consciousness has been used by various faith practices throughout the centuries. An interesting practice in these various faith practices and religions, is to take advantage of this natural rhythm of sleep to insert a time of prayer and meditation in that hour between your sleep cycles where actually because it's the dead of night or we early morning, 
There's not a lot of distractions. There's not a lot of natural distractions. But Dr. Ware also measured different uh, hormonal fluctuations, and it found that there were hormones that enhanced concentration, but also relaxation during this time. An interesting practice is to take advantage of this natural rhythm of sleep to insert a time of prayer and meditation in this time of the break. We find this practice in monasteries of various traditions in either Orthodox or Catholic Christian monasteries, Buddhist monasteries, Hindu, Muslim, or Jewish. All of these sects have some sort of rhythm for prayer time and they actually take advantage of this middle-of-the-night time. When I lived in Albania, which is a majority Muslim country, I lived near a mosque, and the call to prayer was throughout the day. What was also interesting, that there were churches in my town, and the bells would ring throughout the day as well. What I found particularly endearing, especially in winter, which were quite long in Albania, was that several of the Muslim calls to prayer during dark hours, obviously dark during because of the winter, was that the neighborhood dogs would join in the chanting, howling with the amazing bass voice of the imam. And there were several imams that did that, and there was one that I really particularly enjoyed. He just had this most fabulous voice. But the dogs cheered and howled regardless, and it was just so sweet. The hours of the Christian monasteries have their roots in Jewish practices. And if you ever go to a practicing monastery, um, they have these hours, and I have been able to participate in them. There's several wonderful retreat centers in central and northern California where I have done this, and it's a very interesting way to focus on one's spiritual life. The practice of the hours has its root in Jewish practices. And we find throughout the Psalms, and the Psalms were basically the major scripture that was recited by the very early, early Christian communities. And we're talking first couple centuries. And in Psalm 119, there are several verses extolling the virtues of various times for prayer. One in specific, in verse 62, says, quote, At midnight I rise to give you thanks for your righteous laws, unquote. Another verse in the Psalms, which inspired the concept of different times for liturgy and prayer, is found in Psalms 118, verse 164, and it says, quote, Seven times a day I have praised you, unquote. The hours, as they are called, had several iterations in and around Jerusalem in the first several centuries of Christendom and became well-established in the ninth century in the West. These canonical hours consist of daily prayers and liturgies. And I'll just list these for you. And for those of you who want to learn more, um, there's a wonderful book, How to Live Like a Monk, and it talks about these. And you can also get a clock for your house that has all of these hours on it, which I think is rather adorable. Now, the first 
One that's listed is Vigil, and this is the eighth hour of night, which is 2 a.m. And remember, in medieval times, without artificial light, night started with sunset, and people went to bed. So, you know, obviously, eight hours, if you go to bed at six o'clock at night, which sometimes I do, um, just because I can't seem to stay awake and I think I'm reliving my past life as a nun or a monk. Um, eight hour of night is 2 a.m. Now matins, uh, this is from uh, 3 a.m. to dawn. Uh, lauds is at dawn. Um, this varies seasonally. Obviously in the summer it will be earlier than in the winter. Prime is an early morning Terse is around 9 a.m. Sect, which is around noon. Nonus is the uh, ninth hour, which is 3 p.m. And obviously, if the sun rises at 6, this is 3 p.m. Vespers, which is usually at sunset, and obviously that varies due to the time of year. And Compline, which is the end of the day before retiring. Of particular interest is the vigil hour, which was at 2 a.m. And this is when many people wake in modern times. But it seems that waking at 2 a.m. is actually our ancient rhythm, which was taken advantage of by various spiritual traditions. It seems that this time of day, the special consciousness takes over. And many traditions developed myth and spiritual wisdom during this time. It seems also that in households, not in monastic uh, communities, that this time of period between sleeps was really when people told stories to one another and they talked and they made love and they snuggled and they enjoyed this special closeness and intimacy, both with each other as well as with the spiritual world. Now, many of you have come to understand how Bernard of Clairvaux, a church father of the High Middle Ages, how he is central to the age of the Black Madonnas of Europe. Bernard had his childhood conversion experience at the foot of a Black Madonna in his hometown. He venerated Black Madonnas throughout his tenure, and there are several that he visited on regular occasions when he went on his preaching tours. He wrote the Order for the Knights Templar, and it is my theory, and again, this is my theory, you can make your own conclusions, that he inspired the Knights to bring back Black Madonnas with them as they returned from the Holy Land. Bernard also wrote many treatises on the Song of Songs, and we also know this book as the Song of Solomon, and he wrote 120 sermons on the subject of the Song of Songs. So he was kind of into that book, as they say. There is an interesting theme in all of these connections that the Song of Songs is the only book of the Bible that celebrates darkness and intimate love. Out of the Song of Songs, we find the famous verse, I am black, but I am beautiful. In fact, many scholars are now arguing that the verse was originally written as I am black 
and I am beautiful. And the but was substituted in later English translations, particularly during the time of King James, which coincided with the lucrative English slave trade. And the but was put in to diminish darkness. And for me personally, I find it fascinating the connection between Bernard's conversion experience and devotion to Black Madonnas, his 120 sermons on the Song of Songs, and the practice of the vigil in his monastic reform movement. Not that he invented vigil, but that he practiced it. During the 12th and 13th centuries, the time of the Crusades, Bernard, and the Black Madonnas of Europe, there was an interesting trend on the continent. As if those themes are not completely interesting in and of themselves, it was a time of a mini-warming trend. Europe was coming out of a mini-ice age. Farming technologies were also developing. The plow was introduced, which coupled with a warming trend meant longer growing seasons and more productive growing seasons because you had the plow. This increased productivity of agriculture. This meant that people had more food and there were less people needed to grow enough food. And this meant that people had that what we call leisure time, and it became apparent. And there's a reason why there was so much creativity during this time, and many historians point to this warming trend and the development of farming technologies. This was also the time of the rise of the Virgin Mary, and we call this the cult of the Virgin, as the institution of the church became more solidified and entwined with secular power, it seems that there was a public need for a divine mother, and Mary fit the bill, so to speak. During this era, at the beginning, actually, of this era, the hours of the Virgin were compiled. The office in honor of St. Mary and I won't even try the Latin, I'm, I will destroy it. But this was developed around the millennium and expanded afterwards. I highly recommend Mary and the Art of Prayer, The Hours of the Virgin in Medieval Christian Life and Thought by Rachel Fulton Brown. Now these hours, um, the different hours of prayer, coupled with our ancient sleep rhythms, which allow for a certain change of consciousness during the wee hours of the morning or late night, depending on your preference, there is a natural ebb and flow, an alteration between darkness and light, and this really interesting time, basically the time in between where we tend to sense the divine and our consciousness in a very profound way. Now, there's a natural ebb and flow, an alteration between darkness and light in our days and seasons. There's also an interesting dichotomy in religious art between the different presentations of the Virgin Mary. In medieval Spain, there is a distinct classification between white Madonnas and black Madonnas. 
In some shrines, they are actually referred to that in that way. Now, this is not assigning hierarchy or value. It's just they'll say, this is our Black Madonna and this is our White Madonna. The White Madonnas of Europe seem to proliferate during the late Middle Ages and particularly during the Renaissance. Beautiful images from the masters such as da Vinci, Raphael, Michelangelo, and others not so well known started appearing in the 15th and 16th centuries. It's interesting to me that these Madonnas came in the, quote, Age of Enlightenment, unquote. Again, I will leave it up to you, my devoted listeners, to draw your own conclusions. I personally am not placing value or hierarchy on any sort of artistic form, but it is interesting that the Black Madonnas came from, quote, the Dark Ages, and yet there is a devotion to these images I do not witness personally when I visit both Madonnas. I don't see the devotion to the white Madonnas like I do the black Madonnas. It is evident that black Madonnas are associated with place, especially with bodies of water, caves, or the underground. These Madonnas are not associated with specific artists, as are the majority of white Madonnas. We know who makes the white Madonnas. We have no idea who makes the black Madonnas other than the apostle and, and evangelist Luke. And who knows if he actually did that. He's credited with many of them, but we have no idea. But most of them are by that great prolific artist, Anonymous. For me, black Madonnas are associated with darkness, with the earth, and are agents of resilience as well as transformation, specifically of the human soul. White Madonnas are more heavenly, more about the spirit. Maybe the medieval Spanish clergy saw the need for a balance in their artistic expressions of divinity within their places of worship. Maybe this is why they have their black and white Madonnas. I can only ponder, as there is no definite explanation I have uncovered by any other expert. Just as there is a need for balance in these arenas, an alteration between soul and spirit of darkness and light of day, the year offers us alternating times of darkness and light. In the northern hemisphere where I reside, we are in the time of darkness. It is the time of Advent. And for me, I find Advent during the time of darkness particularly rich. Growing up in Southern California, where the light can be overwhelming at times, I just adored the time of Advent, as it offered a break, so to speak, from the endless sunshine. I know not everyone feels this way, but I always did, and that's why I was never totally comfortable there. And the quality of light during those special weeks of Advent and early January was so special. The angle of the sun allowed the colors to be softer, and it was just more relaxing in general, not to have the blazing, blaring sun that parched the earth for, I don't know, how many hours a day. And we usually had rain at this time of the year as well, so it just was this huge relaxing, sweet time. 
The verses of Psalms 19 that I read in the beginning of this episode speak to me deeply, especially the concept of God pitching a tent for the universe to contain the sun. As we see in incredible images of the Hubble telescope, along with the Webb telescope, which are taking pictures of the literal beginnings and limits of the universe, what an amazing tent indeed. These passages say that this tent is warm. Dionysius the Eripagite, one of the first Christian converts from the Apostle Paul, wrote an entire treatise on divine darkness. He said that in such darkness, the spirit can be most profoundly felt, that we are not distracted by other things. Could he have been speaking of the sacred nighttime, which is part of our ancient natural sleep rhythm? When he wrote his treatise, the concept and practice of the hours for the Christian monasteries had not been yet developed. As I become more familiar with the concept of divine darkness, as well as natural sleep patterns, I honestly think this is what he was talking about. And again, I leave it up to you, my listeners, to draw your own conclusions. So for Advent, I will be exploring divine darkness and the Black Madonna. I will be posting podcasts every Sunday during Advent leading up to Christmas, which is actually on a Sunday this year, to honor the sacred rhythm of the year. I look forward to sharing this journey with you and wish you many blessings and treasures of darkness during this very sacred time of year. This is Stephanie Georgia saying thanks again for sharing your time and blessings on you.